to this dude Rufus. He knows what he's talking about. Hey, college football fans. You got a Mac attack right now? It's just under 150 days from the start of the season, and we figure you're right smack dab in the middle of a hunger for some college football. So why not take care of that problem with a bowl full of chips, huh? This week, we go back to school and return to the land of the Mid-American Conference, where Bip and I had the pleasure of spending much of our money on a solid education at Central Michigan University. <laughs> Fire up chips. Fire but up maybe chips. More importantly, <laughs> maybe more importantly, the life-changing social benefits that we acquired during our existence in the great Midwest. That's right. We continue our attention on the rising programs and the overlooked but underappreciated conferences of college football, hoping to put more of a spotlight on these group of five fighters. I am your MC from the MAC, Chappie, the guy to quench your thirst for the college football news and knowledge. And with me, as always, by request, is our Mac Daddy, Bip. Bip, how's life? Is it Mount Pleasant or is it a Kalamazoo? Chappie, how dare you use the K word on this podcast? <laughs> and I like how you put that we got a solid education from uh, CMU. I'm sure the uh, alumni office is going to love that. <laughs> well, it's not a false statement. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just saying. Um, but uh, ready to talk some late night action. So let's zip through these topics and leave the bowl out of it. I like it. <laughs> well, we thank you guys and gals for listening and sharing and what we care so much about. And speaking of sharing, can you do us a favor? When you're done listening, hit that share button and text, tweet, or email our link to those that love college football even half as much as you do. And to help make this podcast work for you and bring you more of what you want, please interact with us on Twitter or email. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC BIP. You can also send emails to bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So ESPN, CBS, Fox, Yahoo Sports. Once you have those spots available for us, email us your info and let's talk. We love college football here on A Bowl Full of Chips. We love to laugh. And since we're going to talk about the Mac... We love weekday action on ESPN. So for those who are not familiar, we're talking about the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night games that start to pop up right around the month of October and into November, featuring these teams from the Mid-American Conference. Yep, and Chappie, the, the weekday action was, was kind of a cool thing to pop up, uh, not just because we have a, a slight affinity for the Mac, being that we both graduated from a Mac school, but it's something that uh, kind of breaks up the week a little bit. You have a, a, a bad work, work day or something like that. It's nice to be able to go home, flip on the TV, and, and enjoy some, some college football, regardless of what the, the, ma- the matchup ends up being. And, and throughout most of the time of the Mac, you, you can always um, be sure that you're going to have a, a pretty decent football game, regardless of the records going into it. Now, I had um, kind of mixed feelings of it at, when I was in school. And the reason for that being that if if our Chippewas were playing anytime Tuesday through Thursday, it's kind of a damper um, because it kind of gets you out of your rhythm. You can't really tailgate as much as you would as uh, a normal Saturday, but I will say it was kind of cool to be there, uh, under the lights. Um, I know one get one year in particular, uh, traveled to Kalamazoo, uh, for a, a Tuesday night matchup between the Broncos and the Chippewas. And it was cool being under the lights for sure, but it really kind of, um, wasn't as as uh, favorable as having that big time rivalry on a Saturday to where you could really gear up for it. You could have some friends over from, uh, you know, the opposing schools and, and really gear up for the, the hated rivalry between those two teams. Yeah, I agree to the point of, you know, the rivalry games really should be kept on a Saturday where you can draw in not just the students, but more so the alumni. Um, I mean, for for people like you and I to travel out to Mount Pleasant on a Tuesday night is really not logistically possible, um, you know, all things considered. Right. So, yeah, to see the Chips and the Broncos play each other on a Saturday would be much better. But I look at it as a standpoint of, you know, if, if your team is hosting one of the Mac favorites and 
the game is televised on ESPN. That kind of gives the stadium a little bit more juice. It energizes the team a little bit more, and that gives you a, a greater chance at pulling that upset, getting that Im- important victory at home. Um, and, you know, let's face it, it's it's a great thing for the MAC because it gives these teams and these these guys the exposure that maybe they they just wouldn't get otherwise. Um, does it take a little of the luster away from Saturdays? Sure. Uh, but the good thing is it's it's a cool weeknight experience. It's exposure for your team. And it still allows you your entire Saturday to catch the other national games without having to choose between your university or the universally attractive Saturday matchup. So I like that part about it. Right. And I was going to mention that as well, that although going to a game on a Tuesday kind of took away from your normal Saturday routine of tailgating and such, it really did open you up for now I have an entire Saturday to watch some of the marquee matchups and watch some of the nationally televised games across the country. Let's be honest, though, Bip. Has a Tuesday or a Thursday ever stopped you from having a, a beverage to enjoy a football game? <laughs> well, uh, a Tuesday or a Thursday hasn't stopped me from enjoying a beverage without a football game, so no. <laughs> right, okay. My point, exactly. So, <laughs> um, you know, speaking of, of ESPN and the college football that they put out, you know, on our last podcast, Bip, we talked about our affinity for ESPN's college game day and their personalities that were on there and how that's really been a fixture of our college football fandom for the last, well, 20 years, basically. Mm-hmm. And we got some uh, some pretty hard blowback from some of our friends and some of our Twitter, Twitter followers who are, let's just say, not the biggest fans of that <laughs> program, or at least their current formatting. Um, but we want to we wanna shout out to our friends uh, Jeffrey the Greek and... Big Kurt and Tessa Savannah, uh, you can keep your hate in your corner. Bip and I are not going to apologize nor back down for our love for not only College Game Day, but our beloved David Pollock. Even though, uh, <laughs> asterisk next to this, we are not SEC homers. If anything, we we favor the Big Ten a little bit more, so you'd think that we would side with Mr. Herbstreet or Mr. Howard or even Mr. Corso, the former coach for the Indiana Hoosiers. But nope, David Pollock is our guy, and, and we're going to stick with it and uh, – Go dogs. That's right. Yeah, I'll stick with my uh, I'll stick with college game day this year uh, against the rival um, Fox game day show. But in- interested in checking out both for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, let's get to our news and notes here. Bip, we've got a couple things that have gone on and and crossed the landscape of the great game while we're in this off season as we're waiting and waiting and waiting for games to start up. And I just mean the spring games. I'm excited for not this weekend, but next weekend when you've got a, a slew of games right. popping up in the spring. So starting off with our defending national champion, Clemson Tigers, Amari Rogers, uh, something happened with him this week, Bip. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately had an ACL tear, um, had, to, it required surgery and there's really no timetable for his return. Not a real rush to get him back as they obviously are going to be loaded at wide receiver, but this one kind of hurts them in the fact that they lose Hunter Renfro and they're loaded with big, tall wide receivers. But Rogers is kind of that quick guy that could step in for Renfro, compliment guys like Justin Ross and T. Higgins, and also did a nice job returning punts last year, also returned a kick, I believe. So um, what might seem like a major strength and, and something that Clemson can definitely absorb, uh, the fact that he's kind of that different body type, that different skill set at wide receiver, could be a bigger loss than what most people are imagining. Yeah, and you know the the different reports that I read, it's it's suggesting that he's likely to be back maybe toward the end of the season um, if everything goes right. Um, but again, you're talking about Clemson and and not just at receiver. You know he returned punts last year as well, mm-hmm. so there's that dynamic uh, skill set that he brings. But to me, I kind of look at it as you go to McDonald's and they say, oh, we don't have uh, before you order. They say we don't have chicken McNuggets on the menu today. Is that okay? It's like okay, yeah, I'm still going to get something from here. It's still going to be good. <laughs> so um, I think Clemson will be just fine. They've got a decent quarterback back there, number 16. I can't remember his name, but um, I think he'll be okay with uh, <laughs> with his arsenal this year. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't think that they'll be hurting for talent in, uh, in Death Valley, but um, you never know. <laughs> we'll see. Yep. Now, a uh, little bit more troublesome – and it really doesn't involve any players on the field. It, it involves a coach who used to be their coach on the field, and that's David Beatty and the nasty, ugly breakup that's going on between him and um, Kansas University. So uh, for those who may not know, David Beatty was fired in early November, and um, you know, basically 
this was his third or fourth year. I believe it was his fourth year, and he had won three games in that span. Now, um, had a pretty good season coming up into this year, by Kansas standards anyway. And um, there was a $3 million buyout that athletic director Jeff Long had promised him, and it was in his contract. Well, recently... Kansas has talked about uh, an investigation both in-house and also involving the NCAA for allegations that there may have been some infractions that occurred under David Beatty's watch. And, you know, the thought is, Bip, that this might be uh, just grabbing at a reason to have just cause to not have Mm -hmm. to pay him that $3 million because... Kansas does have a few boosters and donors, but let's face it, they're not, they don't have money coming out the ears like they do in Austin, Texas. So um, any any chance you can get to save a buck and, and put that into your football program, especially when they're hurting for scholarship players as well, that's been another issue. Uh, what do you think about this, Biff? Is this, is this maybe just smoke and mirrors, or could there be something more here? Well, it's hard to say in today's coaching landscape. I mean, it, it seems like a lot of players ha- have – gone soft uh so you don't know if it's something to do with uh his treatment of players and not saying not accusing him of anything but you know right. the the accusations out there are just that he had you know quote unquote uh violations and nothing specifically has been said so kind of hard uh when there's no major details to say but uh like you i think you kind of hit the nail on the head this just seems like a bad breakup um he uh, started off doing what looked like a pretty decent job in Kansas uh, with how difficult it is to coach there, recruit there. Um, but his tenure kind of soured towards the end. So are they just trying to look for anything that they can to recoup their investment in him? And also have to wonder, they got to pay for less miles somehow. So, yeah. uh, you know, um, an unfortunate story as you never like to see a university uh, and, and their former coach have a, a nasty exit like this. Um, so we'll see what happens with it. Interested to see how this thing turns out. Yeah, and I kind of feel for Les Miles because there's this headache, there's this dark cloud surrounding his new, his inherited football program. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, I mean, there's the Puka Williams thing that he's still handling. And it's kind of like, you know, you got to figure that the Mad Hatter is just wanting to move on and, and get his stamp on everything and, and kind of be washed of this David Beatty business. So Right, right. Well, um, there's, there's been some transfers moving on, uh, at Auburn and transferring has really become the chic thing this off season, but at Auburn, there's been a little bit more transferring than maybe at some other schools, at least um, among power five schools. So really since the fall, um, just recently four-star defensive back recruit Cameron Kelly decided to put his name in the portal. We also saw about a month ago, Calvin Ashley, an offensive lineman, decided to transfer to Florida Atlantic and play for Lane Kiffin. Asa Martin has transferred, running back has transferred to Miami to go play at the U. He won't be eligible this year, but he'll be ready to go in 2020. Wide receiver Kyle Davis. And then along with uh, these guys who transferred back in the fall, Nate Craig Myers, who's going to Colorado State. And we touched on that in our Mountain West preview. Um, his brother, Javon Myers, and then also tight end Jalen Smith. So that's more than a handful of guys from a pretty good program. So, um, you know, is this maybe a sign of, of dissension going on or uncertainty under current head coach Gus Malzahn? Or do you think it's just kind of the, the way things are going around college football that these guys just want a quote unquote better chance to play and they're buried behind talent? Right, and this is the catch twenty two when you create when you recruit so much uh, high level of talent that you're going to have guys that are upset, and you're going to have high, higher profile guys that that exit the school. Um, but this does seem like a mass exodus from uh, you know one of the more noteworthy programs around the country. Um, I, I I always go back and forth, and I think we've touched upon this in a previous podcast that Gus Melzahn is kind of like the Jason Garrett and the Auburn Tigers are kind of like the Dallas Cowboys in they'll have their, their disappointing years. And just when you think that they're, the chips are down and, and they're about to leave the table, they come back and, you know, um, hit a card on the river and and they're right back in the thick of things. Um, so I, I would never bet against, uh, Malzahn and the Tigers and this upcoming year, despite the uh, transfers that they have leaving the school, I think they're going to have enough talent to, um, cause some havoc in the SEC. Be interested to see because if they don't, then this could for sure be uh, Malzahn's last year um, in Auburn. 
Yeah, and I've I've mentioned this on Twitter. I think Bip that. Uh, going into 2019, they've got king queen suited in their hand, and I think that they're going to turn up some some suits to follow what's in their hand on the river. So uh, I keep an eye out for Auburn. A lot of people are counting them out. It's reported that Malzahn's on the hot seat, but it, like you said, he's kind of he t- kind of takes that seat every third year. I don't believe he's gonna falter this year. I think Gus will do a good job. I think he'll be good enough to stay around after competing in what will be a loaded SEC West this year. And I and I tweeted out a couple of my thoughts earlier today, but uh, more to come on that. But keep an eye out for the Tigers. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of transfers, we have a couple new players that have moved in the transfer portal. One is running back Kyle Porter, who leaves the University of Texas to go to Houston, um, a product of Katy High School just outside of Houston, a suburb outside of Houston. Um, he'll have two years of eligibility remaining. And um, back in 2017, he I think I saw he only had about eight yards or eight carries last season, but um, two years ago, he ran for 261 yards and four touchdowns for the Longhorns. And he's going to go to an offense that's going to be led by Dana Holgerson. They've got a couple backs who are, are going to give him a challenge. So it's not to say that he's going to start right away, mm-hmm. but he certainly brings some talent over to uh, to H-Town. And then the other one, also leaving or leaving the city of Houston, but by way of Rice University, Emmanuel Asupka, who was a running back for the Owls last year, he's going to BYU out to the Mountain West or out to the Independent League, I should say. They're they're in Mountain West country. <laughs> um, now he's a grad transfer. He'll be eligible immediately this year. He had 461 rush yards and three touchdowns this season, including 200 yard rushing performances in his first three games. But then a series of injuries kind of slowed him down throughout the year. You would expect him to have better numbers for BYU this year. They've got a uh, you know a good amount of guys coming back on offense, led by Zach Wilson, a, a red hot quarterback as, as a sophomore there for the Cougars. So um, look for Asuka to uh, come in and, and challenge right away. So uh, before we get into our Mac review, we want to give a quick shout out to at Hustle Belt. That's at Hustle Belt. Now, this is a, a Twitter handle. They do a great job of giving us inside info, news, and updates on college football's mid-majors or group of five or whatever you want to call the conferences that get treated like the stepchildren of the NCAA. So give them a follow. Uh, a lot of good information if you want to follow the AAC, the Mountain West, the Mac, the Sun Belt, or Conference USA. At Hustle Belt's the way to go. So, Bip, it's Mac time, baby. You That's ready? That's right. Absolutely. Okay, so let's start off with how the Mac finished in 2018. Uh, do you want to start us off with the East Division, Bipster? Sure. The uh, East champs, the Buffalo Bulls, they finished the season 10-4, and finishing with a nice 7-1 and record in the MAC, uh, followed by Mi- Miami of Ohio, who finished only 6-6 and on the year, but had a strong 6-2 and record within the MAC. Uh, following them, the Ohio Bobcats, who finished nine and four on the season, six and two in the MAC, and then rounding out the East uh, with some poor MAC records: Bowling Green at three and nine, finishing two and six in the MAC; Akron finishing four and eight with a two and six record in the MAC; and Kent State rounding it up with a two and ten overall record, one and seven in the MAC. And I can't help but uh, throw up in my mouth every time I see Akron's name and hear it. Yeah, (laughs) shut up. Um, As a Northwestern fan, that was just, um, that was basically diarrhea on TV. So um, we'll move on from that. Um, So in the West, things were a little bit tighter and a little bit chippier than maybe they looked at the onset. So we had Northern Illinois finishing as the Mac West champs. They were eight and six. They finished six and two in conference. Shortly behind them and, and very close in, in the Western race was Western Michigan. Um, they finished seven and six overall, but they were five and three in the Western division or on, on that side of the Mac. Eastern Michigan was also five and three in the Mac and also seven and six overall. Toledo was seven and six overall as well as five and three. So we had a three-way tie for really for second place with identical overall and Mac records. Then we had Ball State in at number five in the West. They were four and eight, three and five overall, but that was a tough Ball State team. That was a tough out for a lot of teams. Um, and Bip, I hate to say, but at the don't bottom of the West don't Division was the team from Mount Pleasant, Michigan. The CMU Chippewas were less than stellar. Let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah, that that flying C was grounded this year. 
yeah, grounded, buried, and I think the dog pooped on it. So, <laughs> um, well, let's let's get back to the positive. Let's hear from you, Bip. Who is the surprise team out of the MAC conference this year? Not much of a surprise to many um, in regards to who my pick's going to end up being, but a surprise for sure uh, uh, overall in the season, and that's the Buffalo Bulls. That's what I'm talking about. Um, started uh, or finished 2017, finishing 6-6, six and six, improved this year to 10-4. and four. Now, they started the season 9-1 and one, with their only loss being to Army, which it looks like an incredible resume, but yeah. they're really disappointed at the end of the season, losing three of their next four, including the MAC championship game against Northern Illinois. And it wasn't just the fact that they lost the MAC championship game. It's how they lost it. They were up 29-10 to 10 until the last minute of the third quarter, gave up 20 unanswered points, ended up losing by one... Uh, by one um, after the Huskies scored with just a minute left in the game. So a heartbreaking finish to their season, uh, the regular season. And then they ended up losing um, to Troy in the bowl game as well. But that doesn't really take away from what a successful season this was for the Bulls. Um, Starting quarterback Tyree improved upon his uh, solid 2017 season to lead the Mac in passing yards and passing touchdowns. Also added 399 rushing yards and five touch and had five touchdowns on the ground. Um, And, was really uh if anyone watched the nfl combine had a blazing 40 number for the fact that uh despite the fact that he's six seven so yeah. big dude uh highly talented and uh finally showed it off um all this year uh jarrett patterson rushed on the ground for over a thousand yards for the bulls this year with 14 touchdowns and backup kevin marks also added 800 yards and 13 touchdowns on the ground so they really had the ball moving um in the ground game this year and both those guys were freshmen too by the way so right exactly so uh some great talent returning for uh buffalo next year uh, receiver uh, Anthony Johnson and KJ Osborne combined for over 1,900 receiving yards and 18 touchdowns. And defensively, uh, if I'm Buffalo, I look for anyone with the first name of Khalil. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. When I'm recruiting, as Khalil Hodge continued to tackle anything and everything his way. That he guy is a with, player, man. I love exactly. watching number four play. Yep. Finished with 143 total tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss. And a couple good cornerbacks that they had. Cameron Lewis and Brandon Williams each registered three interceptions and combined for eight passes defended. A few stats for the Bulls this year. They had the 12th fewest penalty yards per game. They finished 22nd overall in first downs gained offensively. They had uh, they allowed the 11th fewest sack yardage allowed per game. Um, and taking away the option teams in front of them, they would have finished ninth. And they also were 20th in takeaways in the country and finished ninth in fewest uh, tackled for loss average per game. So all in all, um, if you had told me that Buffalo would have competed for the the Mac this year, I would have raised my eyebrow a little bit. The fact that they kind of ran away um, with the East was was very impressive. Unfortunately for them, they couldn't quite finish it off, but still nothing uh, to take away from the Bulls this season. Yeah, the only disappointing thing I saw from Buffalo this year was the fact that they did fade at the end. I was really hoping that they would push for 11 regular season wins and they would be one of those teams that everybody was talking about. And how cool would it have been to once again see a MAC team ranked in the top 15, maybe even the top 10 if everything goes the right way for the Bulls. And right. yeah, you, you make a great point. If my la- if my name is Khalil or even if I have a son, I'm going to name him Khalil and I'm going to have him apply to the University of Buffalo because chances are they're going to give him a scholarship <laughs> on site. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was a very um, a very good pick for the surprise, and I probably would have gone with them, but I had a I hedged that you were were going to swing that way, and so I'm sure. going to go with the Eastern Michigan Eagles. Yes, that's awesome. And mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm going to highlight them because I agree that Buffalo was a very uh, pleasant surprise this year, but. Going into the season, I think that there are uh, bigger expectations and, and maybe more matching expectations for Buffalo than there was for Eastern. So, yep. um, Eastern finished seven and six, five and three um, in the MAC, which was third in the MAC West, which doesn't seem like it's it's you know glowing and glaring like the lights in Vegas. But here's what they did: they beat Purdue on the road, which you know anytime you can win in non-conference early in the season against a team like Purdue, who um, you know, many had pegged as, as a team to watch out for in 2018. 
um, you're doing something right. They played seven close games. So that means yeah. they had seven games where they were within a touchdown. And unfortunately for Eastern, they were two and five in those games. So even if you flip it the other way, um, I mean, you look Eastern very well could have been a 10 win season or a 10 win team this season. Um, they uh, they had two overtime games, so in those seven close games, two of them did go to overtime. So it wasn't as if you know they lost or they scored a, a garbage touchdown at the end to come to come close. They they played tooth and nail through the whole time, and that's a credit to Coach Chris Creighton. Um, their only loss was by or their only loss by more than a touchdown was against Army, who was eleven and two, who you touched down earlier. So again, it wasn't like they. Um, you know, wet the bed and and lost to a bad team that they really shouldn't have. They played close against everybody, and the only uh, blowout was against that Army team that that won eleven games. Right, um, and and all of their losses were to uh, teams with winning records. So, um, right. as far as losses go, an impressive schedule for them for sure. And four of those close losses came in a row. So they lost four straight right. games that were within a touchdown. So, I mean, that's that can be damaging to a team's psyche. And if we've learned anything from Phil Steele, this bodes well for Eastern next year because sure does. typically those teams, they mature from it, they learn from it. And this is a team that's going to bring back a good amount of players coming back next year. Um, and think of how good they'd be if Max Crosby stayed one more year and didn't declare for the draft. Yeah, right. Um, and so speaking of Crosby, the, the Eagles did it with defense. They were in the top 30 in five of the major defensive categories, and they were in the top 11 in three of those categories. So this was a pretty good defensive team. And we're talking nationally. We're not just talking in the MAC. Um, they were one of only two teams, two MAC teams, to beat a Power 5 bowl team, the other one being freaking Akron. Um, <laughs> so they beat Purdue. Uh, I can't remember who Akron beat, but um, – <laughs> they, uh, you know, getting back to coach Chris Creighton, the, this was, um, he's taken them to two bowl games in the last three seasons. No coach in Eastern Michigan history has ever done that. They've been to, I think five bowl games in their history and Creighton's taken them to two out of the last three seasons. So, uh, if I'm Eastern Michigan and if they haven't done it already, I'd give this guy an extension. I'd lock him in because I think that good things are coming in Ypsilanti. Yeah, absolutely. So BIP, um, do you want to take the disappointment or should I start it off? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 <laughs> well, um, maybe maybe I'll start with this one, Chappie, and, and we can uh, we can tag team this one. I I'll, I'll think... tend to my whiskey while you while you yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might need... <laughs> yeah, why don't you refill your glass for this one? <laughs> and of course, we're talking about our Central Michigan Chippewas. So... 2017 they won eight games and made a bowl um which was a stark difference to this year where they went one and 11 with their only win being a 17 to 5 win against fcs opponent maine um only three of their games this year were lost by one score or less with one of those games being an eight point loss so damn near only two uh games that were only by one score their closest mm -hmm. game was a one point loss against ball state but the chips were outscored 17 to 3 in the fourth quarter to piss that one away so uh <laughs> even an embarrassing loss there um probably they, in their piss colored uniforms too by the way exactly and <laughs> now they did lose a lot as gone from 2017's eight win team were uh starting quarterback shane morris uh jonathan ward their top five receiving options if you count jonathan ward as he finished fourth in receiving yards in 2017 four offensive linemen however they were just flat out bad in 2018 especially on offense they finished 128th in the country in points per game 129th in yards per game um, and their poor quarterback play mixed with inefficiency, um, inefficient play at both running back and receiver to result in obviously one of the worst margin, uh, one of the worst offenses in the country by a wide margin. Thank goodness for you, uh, UTSA and Rutgers, as they were really the only two teams to make CMU feel like they had, uh, some company in their misery. Uh, so some mm. stats to throw at you, Chappie. CMU finished 127th in third down conversion percentage, 127th in completion percentage, dead last in offensive first downs, 124th in turnovers lost, a tied for 111th in the country in sacks allowed per game. What the 
hell was that? And they were 130, uh, 123rd in time of possession, which isn't always a bad thing because teams like Utah State, UCF, and Houston all finished below CMU in time of possession. However, those teams all finished with, uh, it within the top six in the country in points per game. CMU finished 128th in points per game. So there were a lot of fruitless drives put together by the Chips, which put a ton of pressure and snaps on their defense. Um, so their their defense actually wasn't, terrible um as they they finished 38th in the country in yards per game allowed um so when you consider that uh that really shows you that their offense was just inept this entire season um so new coach jim McElwain has his work cut out for him in 2019 with his offense but they have some talented guys coming back at court at quarterback uh or i'm sorry guys coming in at quarterback via uh, and the the transfer route um so we'll see what uh coach McElwain can do as they're going to need a lot to uh change and go their way in uh 2019 considering how poor they were in 2018 jeppy yeah, so you made a Freudian slip, and you you almost said 130 turd, and I think that would have been very appropriate <laughs> because they were turds out there. Um, so yeah, uh, you know I, I I like to look at eight major offensive and defensive categories when I'm comparing uh, the analytics for teams. Bip and in four of those eight offensive uh, meaningful stats, they finished in the bottom three in every or in four of those eight offensive categories. So that was putrid. I, I wrote down here in my notes, no quarterback play. They had a 10 to 18 touchdown to interception ratio as a team. There were four different quarterbacks that they rolled the dice with, and they came up snake eyes every time. So yep. um, that's got to get better. And you you hope that Quentin Dormady, a transfer from Houston, is going to be somebody that can spark it a little bit. But, you know, and you look at the guy like Tony Poljan, the guy who started the season, he had a lot of billing coming out of high school. He's a big body, um, you know, knows the offense. I just don't know what happened. So hopefully Coach Matt can can get him back into a solid level of quarterback play because, you know, McElwain is kind of known around the country as one of the better offensive minds. Right. Um, yeah, things were just ugly everywhere else. They, uh, you know, they – they started off by trailing 21 to 20 at halftime on the road against Kentucky, who was a, you know, a, a miracle team this year. But then they lost to Kansas at home, and that was that snapped, I think, like a 40 game road losing streak for the Jayhawks. Um, they lost Kansas. to NI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we uh, we put that in your Easter basket. Um, <laughs> They uh, they lost eight straight to end the season. Seven of their eleven losses were by double digits. And you talked about their defense. They had four first team all MAC defensive players, and yeah. sadly three of them are gone. So Sean You're Bunting right. and Xavier Crawford have declared for the NFL draft. Uh, apparently, they didn't want to stick around in Mount Pleasant one more year. And then <laughs> um, defensive end Michael Dana has decided to take his talents over to Ann Arbor and grad transfer over to Michigan. So. Yeah, that stings doubly, uh, the fact that he's transferring to Michigan, Jeffy. Exactly. And then my other question was, what the hell happened to Jonathan Ward this year? I mean, he only averaged 2.8 yards per carry, and he had one touchdown. This was a guy last year watching him as a freshman. I thought this is going to be a bright spot for CMU for a long time and could be one of those um, Antonio Brown, diamond in the rough type guys who, if he gets bigger, if he gets some notoriety, could you know, uh, make a name for himself later on. But uh, that offensive line and that passing game just did him no help, and, and he certainly didn't help his own cause this year either. So... Um, hopefully a, a hopefully it was just a sophomore jinx for him and, and he can move out of that. But yeah, CMU hands down, and I mean down, my disappointment for the Mac this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's let's get that sour taste out of our mouth. Let's get to the most outstanding player on offense, Bip. And I'm gonna go to Athens, Ohio, and Nathan Rourke, the quarterback for the Ohio Bobcats. You did it! Congratulations! Great job, everybody. Now, number 12, the quarterback for Ohio U and Frank Solich, he finished with 60% completion percentage this year, 2,434 yards, which was fourth in the MAC. His completion percentage put him at seventh. He had a 23 to 8 touchdown to interception ratio, which was one of the best in the conference. Uh, his quarterback efficiency was 156, which put him at third. And I, I put him ahead of Tyree Jackson for Buffalo because. 
This is an offense that likes to run the ball a little bit more than Buffalo does. I mean, they had A.J. Allette, who was a bruising fullback that was a, a fun guy to watch run. They had Poppy White as a receiver slash running back, kind of a wildcat type guy. Um, he had a good supporting cast, but not nearly as dynamic on offense as Buffalo's supporting cast was for Jackson. So I think Rourke was uh, kind of forced to do more with what he had as opposed to relying on his cast. And I think he did. You know, I mean, he was a fun guy to watch. And he actually was better than Tyree Jackson in five offensive categories. Mm-hmm. Jackson only topped him in three of them. So that's where I give Nathan Rourke, uh, the quarterback for Ohio, my, my nod for most outstanding player in the MAC. I completely agree with you, Chappie, and I can't believe that he didn't come away with the MVP because sure, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the Bulls um, won Doubles. more games. <laughs> sure, they won more games, but I think if you take Nathan Rourke away, I don't think that Ohio is anything close to what they were this year right. because uh, in addition to what you had mentioned, Rourke finished um, second in the MAC in rushing yards per attempt at 6.4, yeah. second in rushing touchdowns, and as you mentioned, he outplayed Jackson in most of the uh, categories, especially um, he was first in the MAC in passing efficiency, almost 20 points higher than Jackson. Um, so and he I, 130 fewer attempts than Jackson did. So yes. in, in throwing the ball a less amount of times, um, he actually fared better in, in those attempts that he did make. Right, and he was first in the MAC in total yards, besting Tyree Jackson by two yards. But he did so by running fifty few, uh, fifty four fewer plays. Right. Um. So really, an outstanding job by by Rourke. I completely agree with you on that one. Beautiful. Well, um, give me your guy on defense, but I think we might be agreeing on this one too. Yeah, thanks for that softball. I'm going to go with Sutton Smith <laughs> from Northern Illinois. Um, That's okay. I'm I'm swinging with a big metal bat with that one too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, what what more can you say about him? Uh, it, 14 sacks, 26 and a half tackles for loss, 61 total tackles, four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, one touchdown, adding upon um, a, an outstanding uh, season that he had last year as well. Finished with seven games with uh, multiple tackles for loss, four games with multiple sacks, and he had four sacks alone in the game against Western Michigan. Um, Additionally, in their game against Ohio, he had two sacks, one forced fumble, two fumbles recovered. Um, This guy was just a man amongst boys and uh, was, was really one of the big reasons as to why Northern Illinois' defense was so stingy this year. Yeah, and, you know, when we talk about most outstanding, you know, I think about who's a guy that you watch on TV or you watch on film and you just, you kind of do a double take and you're thinking, is this really happening? And that's exactly what I thought when I was watching Sutton Smith. And, you know, if I was a coach and, or if I was an, if I was a quarterback and I saw number 15, getting his three point jet takeoff stance at defensive end, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned and I've got a little bit of anxiety back there because I mean, the guy is just a freak on defense. Now he was a former quarterback and running back. Um, so he actually came from the offensive, offensive side of the ball and, um, Northern Illinois coach Rod Carey decided to to use his athleticism and his knowledge of the offense as a quarterback and put him at defensive end there. So, um, yeah, I always love those stories of offensive guys switching to defense or vice versa, or just position changes in general, especially when it comes from a quarterback to such a um, you know a, a physical position like defensive end, rush end, like that. Yeah, and um, you know. Looking at some of his best games, one of them came against a Power 5 opponent, Utah, who they hosted in Week 2. He had eight tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, and two sacks against the Utes. And then against Western Michigan, he had seven tackles, five tackles for loss, and four sacks in that game. Um, mm-hmm. Had a big game in the in the MAC Championship where he garnered, I think, four TFLs and two sacks. So he played big in big-time games, and that's really what is kind of the definition of most outstanding. So, yeah, definitely give it to right. Smith. Um, I do give honorable mention, though, to Max Crosby, who we mentioned earlier from Eastern Michigan. Um, Crosby had nine more tackles than Sutton Smith did at his defensive end spot. He had 70. Um, He had eight sacks, 19 tackles for loss, which is number two behind Smith. Um, And then he also had a, a pick six, three passes defended, and then a fumble recovery, but four forced fumbles, which was uh, pretty remarkable. So Crosby was definitely the leader of that uh, stout Eastern Michigan defense. Yeah, and he had big games against uh, Akron where he had three tackles for loss, eight tackles, and a touchdown. And then against CMU where he had seven tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks. And those were two of their final three wins that made them bowl eligible, and he was a big reason for that. So he was my honorable mention as well. Yep. 
Well, let's go to guys who maybe did not earn accolades or were not on people's radars, Bips. So starting off offensively, who are you going to give the, the offensive game ball to? Who are these f***ing guys? I never heard of most of them. I'm going to go running back from Toledo, Bryant Kobach. Uh, finished the year with 917 yards, but uh, 14 touchdowns, also added six yards per carry. He had six games on the season with over 75 yards rushing, two games with over 120 yards, and five games with multiple touchdowns. So big shot in the arm for uh, the Rockets there in Toledo. Yeah, I went with him too, Bip, and I was really surprised, and maybe it's just a um, a thing of seniority, but when you're looking at offensive production, what are the two things from a running back you're expecting to get? Um, touchdowns and yardage. <laughs> okay, so he was second in touchdowns with 14, like you mentioned. He was fifth in rushing yards with 917. There were three all-MAC teams, first, second, third team, so that puts mm-hmm. six running backs. He didn't make any of the top six. So yeah, uh, I scratched my head at that. You know, So that's where, I mean, to to deep fans like you and I, he wasn't off the radar, but if you mentioned his name to even somebody who's maybe a 60% college football fan, and they would say, uh, who's that again? So Bryant, we're going to give you our love. Now, this is a guy who uh, originally committed to Kentucky and transferred essentially after the summer or, or after fall camp. So he took a little bit of, of getting used to, but um, you know, ended up at Toledo, and certainly the Rockets are, are happy for that. And played so well that they actually had a couple of running backs, I believe. Art Tompkins was one of them who ended up transferring out of there because they saw that this room was getting a little too crowded and they kind of saw the writing on the wall that number 22, Kobach, is, is going to be the guy of the future. Right. So defensively, where are you going? Well, defensively, Chappie, I went with Brandon Harris, linebacker from Bowling Green. Um, Finished the year with 131 tackles, 76 of those solo. Um, Both were third in the MAC. Also added three and a half tackles for loss, uh, a sack, and a forced fumble. Listen to these tackle numbers against these next three teams. Against Kent State, he had 15. Buffalo, he had 19. Western Michigan, he finished with 20 tackles. Um, So not much in in the way of uh, uh, flashy uh, in regards to yardage lost, but um, in regards to a sure tackler and uh, someone that you can rely upon at the linebacker position, Harris was that for uh, for, for Bowling Green all season long. Yeah, that's a good pick. And, um, you know, after after looking at it, I was kind of thinking that maybe he was one that I should put a little bit closer to the top for me. But for me, and I hate to say this again because I'm still stinging from the uh, the week three loss, but <laughs> I'm going to go with an Akron zip, and that's Jamal Davis. So he wore number nine. He was uh, basically a converted uh, athlete that they put at defensive end. He ended up making second team all Mac as a, as a, as a defensive end, but he had 80 total tackles, which was 20th in the league. And that's saying something for a defensive lineman. Normally you got safeties and linebackers who are, uh, in the top 30 maybe, but this is a guy who was 20th overall in tackles from an outside defensive end spot. Uh, he had 16 tackles for loss, which was third in the conference, five and a half sacks, which was ninth. He also had six passes defended. So that kind of shows um, where he came from as a, uh, a safety slash linebacker. And those six mm-hmm. passes defended were among the best in all defensive linemen in, in NCAA college football. Um, now, this is a guy who originally committed to Pitt and transferred from there after one season. And he played on a defense that was really putrid. I mean, if you look at Akron's defensive stats, they finished in the bottom third and really I, I mentioned those eight telltale defensive stats um, that I that I look at. They were, um, you know, 99, 91, and 104th in uh, rush defense, sacks committed, and then uh, also taking the ball away. So not, they not did a, okay with defensive touchdowns, though, didn't they, Chappie? <laughs> uh, yeah, they got a couple. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, for for Akron having kind of a down season, the, you know, a bright spot on defense was Jamal Davis. So he was my he was my guy to get the uh, the off the radar uh, nod on this one. I like that one, Chappie. Why don't you take us into our uh, coach of the year picks? Who did you have as the uh, tops in the MAC? You are coach. You are. Okay, so I'm going to give my golden whistle to the Mac Champ coach, and that's Rod Carey from Northern Illinois. Now, I was torn between him and Lance uh, Leopold from Buffalo, but I, I'm going to give the the nod to Carey for for these reasons. So, first of all, this is his fourth Western uh, title 
in his tenure there. And I know that this is really just focusing on this season, but I think it shows, I mean, he's, he's won the West multiple times. And so clearly the targets on his back and, you know, the other teams from the West are gunning for the Huskies every year, but they not only won the West, but they won the Mac championship this year. And, and you're going to get into in just a little bit talking about how dramatic that was that they came from behind and beat the mighty Buffalo bulls. They played eight teams that went to bowls this year. Uh, they played three of four Power Five opponents: uh, Iowa, Utah, and Florida State. And they played them, you know, respectively. They went toe to toe with Utah up until late in the fourth quarter. Um, they had six games where they came back from a third quarter deficit to win, including the thrilling MAC championship. So, to me, that shows your prowess as a coach. Is if your team is down and you're going into halftime, what adjustments do you make? What psychological uh, shifts can you cause with your team? And Rod Carey did that six times this year. That was that's a hell of a performance. Um, and of course, he got promoted to go and coach in arguably a, a step up, slight step up to the American Athletic Conference. He's the new coach at Temple, and so now going to be roaming the sidelines is former NIU running back Thomas Hammock, who takes over for Carey. Um, Hammock was a running backs coach for the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL, coming back home to DeKalb. So it'll be interesting to see what Hammock does there. But certainly uh, there's been a lineage of coaches who have put NIU in the right spot when I remember 20 years ago, they were the laughing stock of college football, not just in the Mac. Yeah, I like that, Chappie. Um, and Rod Carey was actually my runner-up to my selection. And similar to you, it may seem sort of like a Lifetime Achievement Award, but uh, in taking a deeper dive into the numbers, I went with, Fra- with Frank Solich this year from Ohio. And okay. the reason I did that is they were, in my opinion, the best team in the MAC this year. Now, the Bobcats went 9-4 and four and lost to your pick, uh, Rod Carey in Northern Illinois. But um, their other losses, they lost by 14 to Virginia, but the... Um, the loss to Northern Illinois was only by three, in which Ohio was up 21-9 to nine in the fourth quarter. They lost by four at Cincinnati, um, in which Ohio was up 30-21 to 21 in the fourth quarter. And they lost by uh, two at Miami of Ohio. And the difference in that game was a safety that happened in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and the Northern Illinois game was also at Northern Illinois. So um, their losses all being on the road, all being very, very close losses, um, showed me that uh, this was definitely a better uh, a team that was better than their nine and four record. They finished first in the MAC in uh, and twelfth in the country in scoring margin with a plus two hundred one margin. Compare that to Northern Illinois, who actually finished with a negative thirty five scoring margin this year. Um, offensively, they finished sixteenth in the country in points per game, twelfth in yards per game. They were also ninth in rushing yards per game, eighth in uh, third down conversion percentage. They also registered the third um, kick return defense in the country. They were 22nd in net punting average, so showed that they had some really good special teams with those two. They were 23rd in red zone offense and uh, fifth in turnover margin with a uh, plus 13 margin. So a lot of the uh, stats really back up that this Ohio team was a lot uh, more dangerous than that nine and four mark. And they were very, very close to having a, um, you know, an 11, maybe even a 12 win season this year had uh, the ball, the ball bounce just a, a little bit different for them. Um, and, and Frank Solich is going to be one of those guys that people will probably forget about and be a good trivia question 10 15 years down the road as he just needs to average nine wins per season over the next four years to hit the 200 win mark and uh at that point he'll be ranked 19th overall in uh most wins for uh, a college football i coach. still will argue till i'm blue in the face that that was the biggest mistake that nebraska made at that time was letting him go i don't think he won i don't I think agree. he won any fewer than nine games in a season um, he won double digits several times, but they thought we we still need better. I mean, granted, Tom Osborne set the standard really high and set the bar really high, but mm-hmm. how many coaches are you going to find out there um, among 130 just at the head coach level, let alone their assistants, who are going to average nine wins or better every year? I mean, there are <laughs> there's probably about 70 programs right, right now who would uh, basically sell their soul to get a coach who can win nine games a year. So. Right. And, and I know with the proud history and that Nebraska has nine wins, uh, averaging nine wins per year might not seem like ideal, but I think that uh, Cornhusker fans might agree with me that averaging nine wins is better than the potential of a 10 win season, but surrounded by uh, four to six win seasons as well. <laughs> and who who followed him? Wasn't it Bill Callahan? 
Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, <laughs> that failed yeah, experiment. Sorry. Uh, we just lost our Nebraska fans because they just chucked something at their uh, device, and now it's broken. So. <laughs> And what a gift that uh, Ohio got by getting Frank oh, Solich, yeah. I mean, um, someone that not only is successful, but someone that you know dug in and, and had his roots there in a small town in Ohio in the Mac. Yeah, you talk about – that's like going to a flea market and somebody selling baseball cards and not knowing who – or you know, I think of the Sandlot, like, oh, here's a baseball signed by a baby Ruth. I don't know who that is. So, baby yeah. Ruth. So they, they, <laughs> who is she? <laughs> they certainly got their baby Ruth and Frank Solis. That's a great pick, Pip. Let it go. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. All right, well, um, let's get into some of the top games because the Mac is always, you know, there's hashtag Maction. So there's always competition and there's always close games. It seems like the Mac is good for um, a couple handfuls of overtime games. So let's let's start with um, I'm going to I'm going to start with one of mine, Bip, and I'm going to go with uh, September 29th, earlier in the season, Northern Illinois playing at Eastern Michigan. Now, this game went to three overtimes. Um, NIU came out on top 26-23 en route to their Western Division Championship, but um, EMU scored on their first two drives to go up 10-0 early in Ypsilanti on that gray field. Still looks weird to me. I always feel like I'm watching it on black and white TV. Uh, (laughs) Then NIU scored 13 in a row, including a field goal as time expired to go into the half, up 13-10. But punts bored the second half they literally punted almost every time except for i think there was one turnover on downs and then one fumble but then chad ryland hit a 40 or hit a field goal with three seconds left that put that game into overtime knotted at 13 touchdowns uh sent them into a second overtime northern illinois fumbled on their uh first possession in the second overtime so all emu had to do was secure the ball and kick a a 38 yard field goal that would have won the game but um ryland missed it put it into a third overtime as, as both teams were blanked in number two. And then Ryland hit a 42-yard field goal on the turnaround, but Northern Illinois got a touchdown run from Trey Harbison um, for the three-point win, and so the Huskies came out on top on that one. And this followed last year's close game. So this is starting to become a mini rivalry between the Huskies and the Eagles, especially since Creighton's taken over there in Ipsy. So that's my first game, Bip. Let's hear from you on on what was one of yours. Well, I went with uh, Western Michigan and Miami of Ohio, and in this one, Miami struck early with a 99-yard opening kickoff return for a touchdown. They would lead most of the first quarter until the Broncos went up uh, with 32 seconds left, 14-10. to 10. 32 seconds later after that, Miami would then retake the lead, a uh, lead that they would hold until 2.53 left in the game when uh, John Wasink ran for a two-yard score to put the Broncos up by the eventual uh, game Game-winning uh, score, forty to thirty-nine, and what was a, a a nice not back and forth uh, in regards to the score uh, changing leads, but uh, they were definitely exchanging touchdowns and uh, points in this game. Um, now, Wasink was the star of the game, going for going twenty of forty, twenty-seven of forty-two for four hundred thirty-nine yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. But not to be outdone was his receiver Jaden Reed, who caught seven of those passes for one hundred thirty-seven yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. So. A highly entertaining game between the Broncos and uh, Miami of Ohio. And man, Reed was one of the the most impressive freshmen in the league this year, and maybe one of the most impressive freshmen yep. um, in college football at wide receiver number eighty seven there. And um, yep, yep. So when when Wasink went down uh, later in the year, they brought in Caleb Ellaby, and we're going to probably see a, a pretty intense quarterback battle in Kalamazoo coming up in the in the spring and in the summer and fall. Bip as as Wasink is looking to regain his job back because Ellaby played pretty well in his stead. So we're yeah. going to stay with the uh, the diaper colored Broncos, uh, the baby diaper colored Broncos, <laughs> I should say. Uh, that's a shout out to our our father, who's also a Chippewa, so a little bias there. Um, <laughs> so they played Ball State on November. 13th on one of those midweek Maction games. And this time the Broncos shed a tear lost by a point to ball state, but here's how they lost. And this is probably what's most frustrating to Bronco fans. It was on a Tuesday night and ball state led 21, 17 at halftime. And they really shouldn't have been leading because Western fumbled the ball moving in just before half. So that secured that halftime uh, margin for, for the Cardinal. So coming out into the second half, um, trailing 
They were, after getting stuffed on fourth and one at the one-yard line, Western intercepted a Drew Plitt pass in the fourth quarter, one of only five misses that he had on 26 attempts. So Plitt uh, had a very efficient game, 21 of 26, but this was a costly interception he threw. Um, Western then cashed in this time with Jamari Bogan, who rushed for 213, a career high in this game for him. And Caleb Ellaby hit uh, tight end Giovanni Ricci for a two-point conversion on a little bit of a misdirection play that got him into overtime. Ball State scored following a 24-yard pass to Riley Miller on a little bit of trickeration um, to go up by seven. Western then answered, and head coach Tim Lester decided to go for the win and kind of inexplicably from an offensive standpoint called a, a simple draw to Levante Bellamy, who wasn't their leading rusher in the game, and it was stuffed three yards behind the line of scrimmage, and so Western lost in the attempt to go for two. So the risk did not pay off for Lester and the Broncos, and uh, Ball State got the best of them. And really, that ended Western's hopes for a, uh, a Mac West title as Northern Illinois ended up winning out. Right. Well, Chappie, I'm going to cap our uh, our top games with the MAC championship game uh, that pitted Northern Illinois against Buffalo, and Buffalo cruised through this one in the first half as they led 22 to 10 going into the third quarter, and what appeared to be an easy victory in route to becoming MAC champs for the Bulls, but and this was. Uh, further accentuated when the Bulls scored with four minutes left to go in the third to go up 29 to 10 on the Huskies. Wasn't until 17 seconds left in that third quarter when Northern Illinois started to mount their comeback as they um, DJ Brown caught a 28 yard touchdown pass to cut the lead to 12. The fourth quarter was basically all Huskies as they scored just a couple minutes in and then capped an eight play 70 yard drive with a 35 yard touchdown pass again to DJ Brown to go up. The two-point conversion failed, resulting um, in a 30-29 to lead, and Northern Illinois um, uh, forced Buffalo to turn it over on downs on the, the next possession, so um, uh, finishing off the game for them. But the Huskies held the Bulls to only 12 yards in the fourth quarter until Buffalo's final drive yeah. in, uh, in the last minute, in which they, they gained 34 yards. But again, that was the desperation drive with a prevent uh, defense being played by Northern Illinois. So an outstanding job done by the Huskies, especially in that fourth quarter by that defense. Um, and, and this one was one of those that I'm sure uh, Buffalo fans would love to have back as that one just seemingly fell through their fingertips um, in, in this game. Yeah, not not uh, didn't get past D.J. Brown's fingertips, so he made some hella catches in this one. That's right. Um, and Absolutely. I remember this was the MAC championship. We had uh, we had my brother-in-law and his his wife over for uh, for that evening, and I was kind of watching the first part, and I saw that Buffalo was up by a considerable margin in deep into the third quarter so I kind of turned away and I was you know being social and and uh you know listening to conversation and whatnot I, I know you. I know well then I turned back <laughs> and I keep seeing touchdown after touchdown so I I kind of had to uh be rude and 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 turn my attention to the TV and fortunately my brother-in-law is a, a football fan as well so he was getting into it so here's what I read um there was according to ESPN's win probability analytics with 4.20 left to go in the third quarter, Buffalo had a 19-point lead and had a 98% win probability at that point. And then Marcus Childers and DJ Brown, as you mentioned, took over and uh, pulled out the victory. And you know what made this you know really impressive and really proud for the Huskies is you know their motto is doing things quote the hard way. They even have it all around their field. They have it on the back of their helmets. And so you know down by 19 points heading into the fourth quarter. A lot of teams, especially at a championship game, you kind of question if those 21, 22-year-old athletes kind of just give up and say, well, at least we're going to go to a bowl game. But no, the Huskies fought back, clawed in it, and uh, and got the victory. So great job. And again, that was one of those things that kind of made me put Rod Carey as coach of the year because right. it certainly takes a, you know a good aspect of coaching to get those guys to keep them in it and to breed that culture of we're never out of it and we're going to continue to fight. We're going right. to show our alumni and our fans and our student base that uh, this is what we're about regardless of the score. Yeah, keeping that morale is oftentimes one of the most difficult things that you could do as a coach, I would imagine. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's end here, Bip, with uh, some uh, – where do we put the, the conference uh, in terms of overall? Where, you know, we've got – really 11 uh, rankings. So I, I include the independents in there, but if you throw them out and if you go out of the 10 major conferences, where do you put the Mac? 
Well, Chappie, they, the Mac finished with the lowest winning percentage out of any conference in 2018 with a 447. They were 1-5 in, in bowl games. They had the lowest total scoring margin of any conference at a negative 210, with Conference USA being the next lowest at a negative 185. Central Michigan and Kent State were amongst the worst teams in the country, and Akron and Bowling Green and Ball State weren't very far behind. The MAC finished 10th of 11 conferences in SRS, or the Simple Rating System from SportsReference.com, and that's basically a rating that takes into account average point differential and strength of schedule. They finished with zero teams uh, ranked in the top 25, so sadly I had to put them as the ninth best conference this year. Um, and that would be with the caveat of not including the independent. So you put them ahead of the Sun Belt, uh, though, right? Yes, I would. So I would rank them nine of 10 and I would put them ahead of Conference Mm -hmm. USA. Um, I think that the top of the Sun Sun Belt was better than the top of the MAC this year. Um, The MAC had a a, a really strong middle part of their conference and and contained some of the uh, talented teams that underachieved this year, like uh, Toledo. And like I mentioned, Ohio was a lot better than their nine and four record, in my opinion. Um, But I think the top of the conference. Um, I think the top of the Mac was even with conference USA, but the two additional teams at conference USA had really allowed for me to put the Mac, um, at nine instead of 10, because that bottom of the conference USA is even worse than the, the bottom of the Mac. So because of that, I slot the Mac in at number nine, second from the bottom in the country in 2018, just slightly ahead of conference. USA. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with that. Uh, I, I will say that the Mac to me was, if you're going to rank these on entertainment value, they were one of the the most entertaining um, yeah. group of five conferences to watch. And that's, that's throwing up my CMU bias aside. You know, I mean, had I gone to Florida Atlantic or had I gone to, um, you know, Colorado state, I still would have said, I, I really enjoy watching Mac football. And I really always have. It's, it's kind of, I mean, you love right. to see uh, to me, Ohio football from the high school level, that's one of the hotbeds of football talent. And, you know, it translates mm-hmm. into the college game and the pro game. And so to see a lot of these Ohio and uh, Michigan and Illinois schools, you get the, kind of that blue collar attitude. You get a lot of those guys, that Midwest mentality of we're going to we're going to really fight and, and scrap and, and claw. So it's not necessarily a bunch of speed and, and burn. It's, it's a lot more um, ground right. and pound and a lot more muscle. You see yeah. a lot of the weight room come out. And you really get a lot of um, guys that really overachieve their their recruiting rankings, mm-hmm. and you and you see a lot of guys that make it into the NFL. So the MAC, like you said, is one of the more entertaining conferences as far as uh, um, entertainment value from a game to game basis. But you also have some pretty decent star power in yeah, there as do. well in regards to not only guys that are going to make it to the NFL, but guys that are stars in the NFL right. as well. Agree with you on that one. Just some quick thoughts to end here before we close out. We talked about how putrid the offense was in this league. There were, by my count, one, two, three, four, five, six out of 12 teams that you could put in the bottom 20 um, out of 130 teams in total offense this year. When you look at all categories, um, primarily Central Michigan and Akron, um, Ball State was not mm-hmm. that great either. Uh, and even the the Mac Champ Northern Illinois Huskies, they were 121st in scoring offense, 126th in yards per play, 119th in sacks allowed, um, 116th in pass efficiency offense. So the the stats that kind of matter offensively, they didn't really stack up. So thankfully for them, they had good coaching and a good defense. Um, seven teams were bowl eligible this year. Now you mentioned only six of them actually went to a bowl, but Miami of Ohio technically was bowl eligible. They were not invited and that's a league record. So the Mac has never had more than seven teams who have been uh, eligible for a bowl. So that's a good thing uh, for the conference. Um, Positive news. uh, Antoine Dixon, a wide receiver for Kent state uh, was one of the comeback player award nominees this year in college football. He overcame aplastic anemia, which basically is a, is a blood disorder. He missed two seasons. Um, so this was his first time playing football competitively in really two and a half years. And he ended up leading the the golden flashes and receptions this year. So great story and, and congratulations to you, Antoine. And then, um, wow. Next year, BIP, 2019 is going to be the 150th anniversary of Mac football. So, um, you know, there's probably some people outside of Mac country who think that this is kind of like Conference USA or like the Mountain West, who's really just kind of a newer conference. But they've been around a long time. And, and I mean, there's there's the famed history of the cradle of coaches at Miami of Ohio. 
Um, you know, yeah, there's sure. uh, there's there's been a lot of history within. I mean, Central Michigan again, highlighting our Chippewas. They won a national championship at the Division Two level before they got to to the MAC. So these are schools that have. And this is this is one of the conferences that's really one of the the prime stepping stones on on the way to elite coaching mm-hmm. jobs uh, for a lot of the co- uh, coaches around the country. Yeah, too. Urban Meyer coached at Bowling Green. Um, yep. You know, obviously Brian yep, Kelly, uh, PJ. Jones. Yeah, and I'm not going to put him in elite, but he uses this word. So I'm going to throw PJ Fleck <laughs> in there uh, because yep. he uses the word elite kind of like Samuel L. Jackson uses the F word. So, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so we'll end on a high note there. And in the words of Marty Moose, sorry, folks, the park's closed. Hook, hook, hook. But Biff and I certainly hope you don't Clark Griswold us and punch us in the nose. We sure as hell hope you do come back and give us more of your time, and we promise we'll give you information, useful insight, and college entertainment. The season kickoff is just 21 weeks away when we look for some hidden heroes in week zero. But don't be like De Niro and listen just a little bit. Now, we strongly hope you continue to listen. Check out our previous episodes you may not have gotten to, but more importantly, spread the word and help us be heard. So again, share, subscribe, and be like the people in Nebraska and give us some ears. Remember to interact with us on Twitter. You can be as complimentary or as critical as you want. We appreciate both. Thanks for tuning in to A Bowl Full of Chips, your snack for the Mac. I am Chappie, and with always with me is Bip, and we'll be back next time to set you straight, whether it's early or late. Bars closed. See you, everybody.